Welcome back. It's been a while since we've done this, and uh, it's good to be back. It's uh, an honor to be allowed to be the first one up here. Um, and it's been a hard week, um, and then getting getting into this lesson and, and uh, realizing that there are others who are probably better to teach this lesson than I am. Um, just the struggles that we have day to day, and this has been a rough week, and just uh, be mindful of the fact that every person who stands up here is still uh, fallen in their nature, and they still struggle with difficulty, um, and the things that they teach are, you know, it's, it's as much for us as it is for you. Um, I actually learn more when I teach than times that I don't. And those of you that teach probably understand exactly what I'm saying. I apologize for the, the coldness. Just understand over the next five weeks it will be like this in here. Anybody who knows me knows I'll sweat in a snowstorm. A couple things as reminders. Um, October 9th. October 9th is the missions banquet. You need to sign up for the missions banquet. Um, they are doing things a little differently as far as the food this year, but um, pretty much at what we've done in the past for missions banquet is going to be similar. Um, the guys are already getting things ready for the for the worship time. And uh, so just keep that on in your mind. Put that on your calendar and make sure you sign up October 9th for the mission banquet. John, who do we need to talk to to sign up? Sign-up sheet is on the... Um, the other thing is I want to plug this book to you. I know John was handing these out like uh, candy a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago. I got 103 copies. And there's more on the book table. And if you haven't gotten one of these and gotten into it, I've read the introduction and half of the first chapter, and it's exactly what I needed for this week. Um, it's about uh, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. So I would encourage you, if you have not read this book, get a copy of it and get into it as quickly as you can. Um, it will encourage your heart. So I'm going to point that out to you. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us to get started, and then uh, we'll get into this lesson today. Father, we humbly come before you today. Uh, we are not worthy of ourselves to stand before you and ask of anything. Um, it's only through Christ that we can stand before you, and we are thankful. Father, we um, lift up our brothers and sisters who are sick. You know the path that they walk. And you know that we love them. Help us to not be focused on ourselves through this, but to focus on their heart, their, their relationship with you. Pray for their, their walk to be strengthened through this difficult time. Father, I pray for those that are caring for them. I pray that you will just give them strength and compassion and patience through all of this, because it's such a hard thing. Father, we thank you for your word and everything else that's going on in our world, all the chaos and all the confusion and all of the conflict. Your word stands true, and we can trust it. Father, help us to know that today, not just believe that because somebody told us, but to know that your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you that don't know, and, and you're kind of looking up here going, this is a little weird. We haven't seen this in Sunday school before. Um, we got a lot of folks that are out and a lot of folks that wanted to be here today. And it just happened that first day of Sunday school was the day that they were all going to be gone. 
So I, I had about six email requests over this week asking that we record the lesson. So that's the setup you're seeing. So try not to be too distracted by that. And I'm going to set this down here. Out of my so Psalm 11.3 says, if, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I don't know about you, but looking uh, at the experiences that we've had over the last 24 months and the things that are going on in our, our culture, things that have happened in our culture, at some point you might have said over the last 24 months, what can I do? Because the foundations in our country have been completely dissolved. And when the place around you dissolves, it's very easy to fall if your foundation isn't set. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is getting your foundation set so that no matter what goes on around us, you can stand strong through whatever happens. So let me ask this question. Um, why do people claim to believe that the Bible is true? Not necessarily you, because I know most of you sitting here, so I know what your answer probably would be. But if we're talking to somebody on the street, and they, you ask them, do you think the Bible is true? And they say yes. Why do you think the Bible is true? What, would, what do you think they would say? Oh, it's what I've always been told. It's what I've heard. This is important, folks, because you are going to encounter people. We, we live in a postmodern society, and, and what that means is where, as many of us were growing up, and people around us had a, a, a uh, Christian foundation, even though they weren't believers, today most of the people that you run into don't have that foundation. So when you say that you believe the Bible is true, though, that's your truth. Or, you know, I grew up in the church. It's what I've always known. My parents told me that this was true. My pastor, my youth leader told me, my Sunday school teacher told me that this was true. So that's some of the normal thought processes that go into why people think the Bible is true. Another one, and this is one that I love Vody Bauckham's story on this. Uh, the, I tried it and it worked for me. Vody Bauckham's comment was, well, my mom was a Buddhist and it worked for her. He said, so the guy who's in um, AA, and one of the tenets of AA is that you believe in a higher power, and he doesn't believe in God, so he looks over to the window and there's a squirrel sitting there, and he believes that squirrel's his higher power. And for 10 years, he lives without a single drink. That squirrel worked for him. Is that good enough? So, if you are somebody that says, well, I've read the Bible, I've listened to the Bible, and it works for me, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that that's okay, but it's not good enough. Okay? Because the fact that it works or doesn't work from your perspective doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Okay? So if people don't have a trustworthy, reliable source of truth that confronts the error that's around them, how can they defend what is true? This is, uh, I've been doing a lot of reading recently on apologetics, and one of the things in apologetics is uh, pre presuppositional apologetics, and if, you, if that's a 
phrase that you don't know, please come talk to me later. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But the idea is this. Where's your foundation for truth? Somebody who says that everybody has their own truth. Well, my truth says that you're wrong. So your truth means that my truth is correct because you said everybody has their own truth. Well, no, that's not what I mean. Well, wait a minute. Where's your foundation for truth coming from? You're saying there is a definitive yes and a definitive no, but you're saying that if somebody says yes and somebody says no, they can both be right. Well, laws of logic say that two things that are directly opposite cannot both be true. So something's wrong with the way you're thinking. We need to talk about that. So the whole point of this is, is finding a trustworthy, reliable source of truth. Okay. So in society today, and this is really where we're going to be for the next five weeks, Okay, in society today, these issues that confront truth that the churches as a whole in the United States are dropping the ball on or are basically backing away from or, or falling in line with. Racism, critical race theory, gender issues, marriage and women's roles, men's and women's roles, and singleness. And that we're going to hit those things in the next five weeks. And uh, if you, the looks on your face or any recognition of what I'm thinking is, boy, I'm in for it, right? Because those are the hot topic issues that we're dealing with in our society today, aren't they? But to be able to deal with those issues, we have to have, we have to have a trustworthy, reliable source of truth. And that's where we're going today, okay? Now, I'm working off of the assumption that Working off of the assumption that you all are believers, okay? Working off the assumption that you all are believers. Now, does that mean that I truly believe that every person that possibly hears this is a believer? No. I've known people, I know I, for instance, grew up in the church. I was born in the church. I went to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was president in my youth group when I was in high school. And I didn't come to know Christ till maybe 15, 20 years ago. I knew all the answers, but I didn't, I didn't come to a realization that I had to repent until about 20 years ago. So I am under no delusion that somebody who has spent their entire life in the church is a Christian. Okay. So we're going to touch on that. But this is the other thing. We already operate under the idea that this is true. Okay. I'm not going to argue the question of whether this is true. My argument for you today is, why is this true? Okay? Because these are the things that we're confronted with in Scripture. First uh, Peter chapter 3, and you'll see this on your notes if you grabbed a, pa a page of notes. First Peter chapter 3, verses um, 15 and 16. And I'm going to back up for a second because um, I'm going to back up to the second half of verse 14 because I want you to see this. Um, In a lot of conversations I have about things that are going on with different people, I've had conversations with teachers and people from Grace and about everything that's going on in our culture right now. One of the things that is obvious to me is that everything that is being done is, is being perpetuated by fear. Okay? Well, um, and, and I'm going to let you know up front, I operate from two different versions of the Bible. Uh, the New American Standard and the Legacy Standard, okay? And so I'm going to be bouncing back and forth. It's, well, some of what I read may be different from what's in yours. That's okay. 
The New American Standard says in verse 14, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Sounds pretty good for what we're dealing with today in our nation, right? But let me read the legacy standard because for me this is this is this really became very openly obvious for me. And do not fear their fear. And do not be troubled. Do not fear their fear. That's easy to say, right? It's easy to say, don't be afraid. Throughout Scripture, Pam and I were having that discussion yesterday. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Uh, She was in the Old Testament. I was in the New Testament. We were bouncing those ideas back and forth. Old Testament says, don't be afraid because I am your God. God's saying, I got this. Don't be afraid. But then we come here and it says, don't let fear, do not fear their fear. But this is the interesting thing, verse 15 and 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. What does sanctify mean? We hear these, these Bible words all the time. Do you know what they mean? Sanctify just means to set apart, to separate. Separate Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, or gentleness and fear. Now, this is hard for me because, as most of you know, I'm not a gentle person. So trying to deal with people in gentleness and reverence is a challenge for me. This week was an example of that. But the point is, we are called We are called to make a defense for those things that we have hope in. Can you make that defense? 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15 to 17. Actually, uh, 15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Here it is. Accurately handling the word of truth. Are, are you seeing this? We're called to do something, and then we're given a directive that's something that we need to do. Accurately handle the word of truth. That's an action, folks. We're called to present ourselves to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Then we're called to accurately handle the word of truth. Let's turn to Second Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter three, the next page over, and I'm going to back up to thirteen because all of this ties right in with what I'm going to be where we're going today. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. You've not only learned them, but you've come to the understanding that they are true. knowing from whom you have learned them, that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. What sacred writings? Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's what we're talking about, is getting you equipped over the next five weeks to deal with these conversations in a gentle and a reverent way. But to do that, you have to understand that this is your foundation. No scientific argument, no social argument, no personal argument, no feeling, no opinion is going to answer those questions. This alone will answer this question. And this has been part of my struggle this week because you know me, I love science, and I want the science argument every time. But we want to come back to what we know is 
true. So why can we believe these things? Why, why do we believe that this is truth? Okay? So simply because it says so, it says that I should believe. It, it says that I should have faith. I have faith. It says that I should do this. That's why I do it. That, in a way, that's a blind faith. Yeah, blind faith. Yeah, let me explain why that would be a blind, blind faith. We're going to spend the rest of our time in 2 Peter chapter 1. So please turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to do a whirlwind through 2 Peter chapter 1. And it's funny, people look at me and they, they know that I love Genesis. So they know that I want to spend all my time in Genesis. And then I go to 2 Peter and they're like, what? This doesn't make sense for Greg. It does because this is our foundation. Okay, I'm going to get back to Genesis when I start talking about race, when I start talking about gender and marriage and family. That's where we're going to go back, and we'll come back to the New Testament as well. But that, I love that stuff. But for that stuff to make sense and for that stuff, stuff to, to ring true, this has to be true. Okay, so number one, the, we're going to lay the foundation. So over the next couple weeks in social, uh, social studies, sorry, my school's <laughs> still in school, mine, Sunday school. Um, over the next five weeks in Sunday school, hopefully this will help you to deal with some of these issues. But also, the way that we go through this today, I'm hoping will set you up so that any future things come along, you're not going to have to spin your wheels trying to figure out what to do because you're going to know what to do. Okay? So this is to build your foundation to carry you forward. All right, so uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And I'm just going to, the first uh, 12, first 15 verses, we're going to quickly go through this because I want to get to 16 to 21 because that's where our meat is. Okay? Uh, 1 to 4, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So this is to us who have received the faith, the same faith that the apostles have. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Did you hear that? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Nothing that we encounter out in public, outside of these walls, is going to be outside of the understanding and the wisdom of this book. Nothing. That's what he's telling us. Life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he granted us the precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust number one you have to have a knowledge of salvation you have to be somebody who has repented of their sins you have to be somebody who has relied completely on christ if that isn't number one, the rest of this does not matter. Because if that isn't number one, the rest of this will not work. Okay? Number two, knowledge of sanctification. Okay, so salvation is that point in which we go from death to life. Sanctification is that process where we go from life to perfection. And ultimately perfection when we're standing before Christ in heaven. So it's that, and now we're going to talk about that process. Now, for this very reason, what reason? The reason that you have been, 
you have faith in Christ. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith. This is the action part. Faith is the belief part. This diligence, this sanctification is the action part. You believed, now do it, is what he is saying. Apply all diligence in your faith, supplying moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and then your brotherly kindness, love. Does this ring back to another another set of verses in Scripture? Fruits of the Spirit. This is just a replay in a different format of the fruits of the Spirit. If you truly are a believer, these are the things you will see in your life. Right? It's not these things that save us. It's these things that show that we are saved. Right? That's what he's talking about, those fruits of the Spirit. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... Didn't just see it once 20 years ago, and I haven't seen it since. It needs to be growing. There needs to be growth. There needs to be process in that sanctification. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. Okay? And I'm, this I'm saying for me as much as I'm saying for you. Okay? Be all the more diligent. That means more than just Sunday morning. I struggle. I, I, I've got a plan that I, I try to be in this every day, and I don't. I'm not successful. So, do you beat yourself up over that, and then go six or seven or eight days or five five weeks or twelve weeks before you're back in it? Lord, forgive me for neglecting Your Word and get back in it. Don't allow yourself to be beaten down by a previous failure. Confess the failure, move on. Pick it up again. Because this is one of those things that I've told a lot of the younger kids when I've, when I've taught younger kids is this. Is, um, when you feel like God's far away, He is. You know why? Because you walked away from Him. He didn't go anywhere. He's where He's always been. But every time you turn away, you're putting yourself more and more distance. So when you turn away, we're called to turn to him. When, when it's that, it's that. In, in biblical counseling, it's, it's the um, put off, put on principle. Put off the wrong, put on the right. You, you, have, you make the choice to do the wrong, now make the choice to do the right. Okay. Now remember, what's the foundation here? What's the first step? Knowledge of Salvation. If you don't have salvation, you can't do this. Because it's not in our power that we're able to do this, only through the power of the Spirit. But if you're saved, He has given you the ability to do this. Okay? Be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You catch that, right? You will never stumble. But what's the phrase there? If you practice these things, which means when you stumbled, you quit practicing those things. So how do we solve that problem? Start practicing those things. It sounds complicated, but it's really easy. One thing I've discovered is I feel very away from God when things are difficult like they were this week. And when I found myself putting everything else away and just picking this up, 
I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Did it change my situation? Not a bit. Do I still dread looking back to going back uh, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock? Yep. But you know what? I'm encouraged because uh, Pam and I, go, we've gone back and forth on this. Ecclesiastes 7.14. Ecclesiastes 7.14. In the day of prosperity, rejoice. But in the day of difficulty, remember, God has appointed one as well as the other. So even in difficulties, God's appointed it. We don't like thinking about that, do we? Somebody else has done me wrong. Well, you know what? God's allowed that to happen. Why? And I, I, we got in this discussion on emotions and feelings this week. Um, you know, emotions aren't a bad thing. Your response to the emotion is a bad thing. can be a bad thing. God's, God's road signs are your emotions. Is this working? Is this not working? Am I doing something wrong? Do I need to make a, a correction? Do I need to respond differently to somebody? Because if there's people like, well, I have righteous anger. Righteous anger doesn't last and doesn't last more, more than one day. Because Scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if your anger lasted more than a day, it's not righteous. I'm sorry. I'm speaking to the choir, okay? Because it's something that I struggle with. For in this way, the entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Abundantly supplied. So, two things, okay? First, knowledge of salvation. You have to know Christ. And once you know Christ, the knowledge of sanctification, that this is a process that I'm in, and I have to keep moving forward. Will I have time before I step back? Yes, but keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing. Because it's only when you pra stop practicing is when you stumble. Let's go to verse 12. Okay, now this is the reminders. And, and I think of John about this because he's made a comment a couple of times on Sundays that um, sometimes he feels like he's saying the same things over and over to us. You know what? It reminds me of Peter. You know what? You listen to what Peter says in verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Remember, there's only two things that Peter's talked about so far. The knowledge of salvation and knowledge of sanctification. This is the only two things he's talked about. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Even though you already know them. Even though you've already been established in them. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. John does exactly what he is supposed to do. Keep reminding us, and keep reminding us, and keep reminding us of the things that we already know. Because I don't know about you, on Thursday afternoons or on Tuesday mornings, I forget. So when I come in here on, on Sundays and John's reminding me of the same thing again, you know why? Because I need him to remind me of those things, and God knows that. And I will be diligent at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. And that goes into Peter's writing of this epistle. Now we get to verse 16. And the knowledge of the scriptures. This is where it's important. This is the why. Why do we believe what scripture teaches? This is the why. I'm going to try to do this in eight minutes, so please bear with me. 
Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We did not, we did not come up with cleverly devised tales. Okay, what he's saying is, and, and this is part of the Jewish history, is these things that were made up by the Christ's disciples. He's saying, we didn't make these things up. Verse 21 says, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We didn't just make these things up. The things that we are saying came from God. But this is the other thing. The end of verse 16 says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, who's the we? An eyewitness, when, if you're a social studies teacher, um, you understand there's two things that are important when you're dealing with a historical document, which is what we're dealing with is a historical document. There's two things that's important. Number one, that there are eyewitnesses who can agree to what's been said. And number two, that there are other eyewitnesses who say the same thing so that there's cooperation between, between um, eyewitnesses. So that there is an agreement between eyewitnesses. So you need some social basic social studies corroboration. Here we go. First Peter chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll just, I'll just read these for you, but I want you to hear it. So right now we're saying Peter right here says he's an eyewitness. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1 is what I meant to say. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifest, and we have seen and testified, proclaimed to you the eternal life. So Peter, now John, well, let's go to, let me turn to 1 Corinthians for you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verses 5. And then, okay, now this, who's uh, who wrote 1 Corinthians? Anybody know? Paul, okay. So Peter, John, now this is Paul, okay. Um, and then he, speaking of Christ, appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, that's eleven more folks, or ten more because John's in that. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. That's another 500. Uh, most of whom remain until now. So not only did these people, were these people eyewitnesses, but at this point, they were still alive. So they could say, yes, we saw that. But now, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So we got Peter, we've got John, um, we've got Paul. Uh, and then if we go back to the Gospels, and I'm not going to go through all the Gospels. I know you think, I'm. let's go through every single Gospel, right? No. Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as we have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So now Luke, who's writing the book of Luke, who was part of this, had the other eyewitnesses giving him information for him to write this gospel. So here's your corroboration, folks. You've got Peter, who we're talking about in 2 Peter chapter 1. You've got John. You've got Paul. You've got the other 12. You've got the 500 that were there. And you've got Luke. And most of the social studies teachers will tell you two or three is enough. Well, we've got like 600 at this point. Right? So there's your eyewitnesses. Is it trustworthy? Why is it trustworthy? Because they were eyewitnesses. 
Verse, uh, I'm going to keep reading here. This is my beloved son. Verse seven, I'm sorry, verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, seeing an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, years later, is referencing the transfiguration where him, James, and John witnessed Christ's transfiguration and heard God speak over Christ. He's witnessing this. So again, this is more eyewitness material. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie in on this 19, beginning of 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. Two things here, prophetic words. There were over 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Christ. 300. Okay? The numbers are astronomical as to how one person could fulfill all 300. Okay, but let me just let me just read. You've got these in front of you for those of you that have the notes. Psalm 22. We're not going to deal with all 300. Let's just just deal with one psalm. Psalm 22, uh, verse one, fulfilled in Matthew 27:46. Verse two, fulfilled in Matthew 27:45. Verses seven and eight, fulfilled in Matthew 27:39 to 44. Verses nine and ten, Luke 2:7. Verses 12 to 13, John 19, 19, that's 6. 14 to 15, Mark and John. Verse 16, John, two different passages. Verse 17 and 18, Luke and John. Just from Psalm 22. Not to mention the other 299 Old Testament prophecies. So here's your prophetic word, more sure. And this is the other thing. As a science teacher, I'm first, I'm very quickly to say that science doesn't prove the Bible. Science can confirm what the Bible teaches, but if the science disagrees, the science is wrong, not the Scripture. Same thing goes with experience, folks. Experience can confirm what Scripture teaches, but if your experience is different from what Scripture teaches, your experience is misinterpreted. Okay, Why is that important? Because a lot of people are going to read this verse He's talking about his experience where he witnessed as, as an eyewitness, because we've already said eyewitnesses are key, right? He's witnessed the transfiguration on the mountain, and then he turns around and says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Some people are going to take this to believe that his experience is key. And what he's saying is my experience confirms all of this. This is key. This is what is made more sure. This is the foundation. That's what he is saying. Because it's this that will, is what you pay attention to, that is a lamp shining in a dark place. Remember, Psalm, was it Psalm 119, 105? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is it? Do you think there's, there's, you know as well as I do going through the New Testament, the number of New Testament authors that reference Old Testament whether it's direct reference or indirect reference. Here's a great indirect reference to the lamp. And those verses should ring in your mind when you read that. Your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. And that takes us to verse 20 and 21. So you need confirmation that what I just said was true, because a lot of there's, especially nowadays, experience is key. 
you need confirmation that experience is not the key. Verses 20 and 21. But know this first of all. This is Peter, not me. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit. Spoke from God. He's confirming that everything that we have here is true. There's your confirmation of why. He's given you the why. Eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses give us the historical foundation. The, the interpretation is not a human act. It's a divine act by God giving that information to men. And it's written down for us so that there's never a question. One of the things that I, I, I've said to a number of people is this, is that God's word sometimes is difficult to do, but it's never difficult to understand. Now, there are a few passages that may be a little more difficult to understand, but when it comes to living life, day to day, not the theological difficulties that sometimes we face. When we're talking about living life day to day, Scripture is clear. may not be easy, but it's clear. Now, why is this important? Well, this, this is the foundation by which we're going to tackle the next four weeks. This is where we're going to go after race. This is where we're going to go after critical race theory. This is where we're going to go after gender issues. This is where we're going to go after um, marriage and singleness and men's and women's roles. This is where we get our answers. This can be trusted. In 2000, well, if you count the Old Testament, over 4,000 years of writing, it's never changed. It can be trusted no matter what changes in our culture. Now, that being said, how do we prepare for next week? I have four questions I want you to a answer for yourself. And then it would be good to write these down so that when you come in next week, we can, we can really go off of this. Here's your four questions for next week. What is race from the world's perspective? What is race from the world's perspective? What is racism from the world's perspective? Now, I'm using, I'm using secular societal words in these questions. Next week, I'll bring in the biblical vocabulary, because that's how we need to attack this, is biblical vocabulary. But just for the sake of these questions, I'm using secular societal words, okay? What is race from the biblical perspective, and what is racism from the biblical perspective? All right, so that's where we're going for next week. Let's pray and move out for the service for today. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, your word is encouraging. It's convicting. We are grateful that, that in your amazing way, you can convict us of something and encourage us at the same time. Father, we pray that through this, we would trust you implicitly. The things that you tell us, we can trust you with it no matter those that come against us. Father, help us to rely on you more, to get into your word more, to understand what you want from us and how you want us to live from a day-to-day -day perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.